That was never our big goal was to come out with tons of profits. I mean, we wanted to know that our we had a healthy business at the store level, but at the same time, we would reinvest into expansion and then software. of course, yeah. software is a big one. Things that we wanted to make it so that our business was ready to grow to the next level. If you want to decide, okay, I'm going to stop growing and we're never going to grow again, then yeah, then becoming profitable, I think is largely important. But if you're trying to grow, those there are trade-offs you have to make. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world. You're now one simple tip, practical tool, and small step away from growing your business. One Next Step is brought to you by Belay, the incredible 100% remote organization revolutionizing productivity with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media managers. Accomplish more, juggle less. Modern staffing from Belay. And now to your hosts. Welcome to One Next Step the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm Ryan. And I'm LZ. And today, you're going to hear from the co-founders of Tiff Streets, Tiffany and Leon Chin. They recently sat down with our CEO, Tricia Shortino, for an amazing conversation about how to build a brand, raise money, and lead an industry. Tiffany and Leon have built Tiff's Treats from scratch, uh, no pun intended, starting in 1999 from a college apartment in Austin, Texas, and growing today to 75 stores and more than 1,700 employees across the country. They've raised capital along the way and have become a national brand and industry leader in cookie delivery. And they have a brand new book of recipes and stories from their adventures as married entrepreneurs. And that's why we're so excited to have them on One Next Step today. And just a little inside baseball. If you make it all the way to the end of the episode, you may just find a discount code for you to be able to get some cookies yourself. But before we dive into the conversation, and I'm sure find all of ourselves hungry, I do want to take a quick moment to tell our listeners about Belay. With modern staffing from Belay, businesses and leaders can focus on growth without the unnecessary overhead or learning curves associated with hiring and onboarding full-time employees. Belay is the incredible 100% remote organization revolutionizing productivity with our virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media managers. Accomplish more, juggle less, and get back to what only you can do, growing your business with modern staffing from Belay. And now, enjoy Trisha's conversation with Tiffany and Leon of Tiff's Treats. Tiffany and Leon, thank you guys for joining us. I'm so excited. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. It's a pleasure to meet you. Well, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. We're excited to be here. Uh, Awesome. So I love that you guys are a um, husband and wife couple owning a business. (laughs) I'm sure that has so many joys and challenges. As As a fun little kickoff icebreaker question, I'd love to know, have there been any highlights or moments that have been just pivotal experiences for you running a business as spouses? Now, they're all, these are highlights, not the lowlights, right? I think oh, the either lowlights. or. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think the lowlights are as important as the highlights because when you ask yeah. that question, what immediately comes to my mind, honestly, are the lows because of mm. the, you have that moment together with somebody else. So what's coming to my mind is, so many years ago, we built a little location and we sort of built it from scratch. We painted it ourselves. We spent all of our extra time at Home Depot 
And after midnight, we were just sitting on the floor of Home Depot, just exhausted and kind of mm. almost crying of just the over what everything was so overwhelming. Things weren't going great building this spot. We already had other locations we were already trying to run as well. And those are the kind of moments that I think of in terms of husband and wife, yeah. just those times when you're sitting side by side and totally failing. For me, the highlight is all of those memories of those low lights because truly you have to experience all of that together, knowing that the other person knows exactly what you've gone through. And I know exactly mm-hmm the blood, sweat, and tears that went into the business on her end too. Literal blood, literal sweat, literal tears, um, metaphorically as well. And it's a bond that's truly amazing that we have with each other because now I can say I've seen her go through it all. And I don't know, we don't know if we would recommend it for everybody, but the fact that we've been fortunate enough to come out of the other side of it it really is an amazing bond that like I feel like not every a few couples have uh, that have gone through the same thing we have. And I think the lows are important so that you can actually appreciate the highs because if it's all high, then it's like, you know, this every other day. But one thing that's coming to my mind, funny enough, is Valentine's Day of 2020. Mm-hmm which makes people think that that was during COVID, but actually that was pre, that was right before everything. Oh, yes, right before. And we talk in our book a little bit about some of the Valentine's Day's past that we have done. And uh, Valentine's is our biggest single day of the year. So it's like our Super Bowl Mm -hmm. and we prep and prep and prep and prep. And some years it goes off swimmingly and other years it just totally collapses. And Valentine's Day of 2020 was one of those years where we just dominated in terms of like fulfilling the orders on time, having happy customers, operations were swimming and everything was great. I just still remember getting pizza at the end of that night and just thinking, just being on such a high. And part of what makes me think about that too is because right after that, everything in the world just totally changed. And that was like the last big memory I have of just being like, this is awesome. Yes. And it must be a treasure, really. I just think of like entrepreneurs in general or just business owners to be able to experience all of that and have somebody that's there with you, even if it's just the sound, somebody that literally knows exactly what you're going through is such a rarity. And I can imagine, of course, the highs and the lows of it, but the positivity of being able to truly share the experience with another person um, Mm -hmm. that's truly a partner with you going through that. I can absolutely see the benefits of that, but I I love that you also don't ignore the fact that it's really really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work. Oh, where yes. you got today is definitely not overnight success story. We're just celebrating our twenty third year, so it it, wow. it really really isn't an overnight. Whatever success. kind of story it is, it wasn't overnight. Yeah. <laughs> is. I mean, people like to say those things. It's never an overnight success, right? Well, so tell us a little bit about your story. It's been 22 crazy years. Um, You have such fascinating beginnings. Um, You took really big risks. You jumped in both feet to do a lot of things that nobody's ever done before. So I think it's a very compelling story for people who are maybe risk adverse or scared to take a chance or, oh, that's a crazy idea. I shouldn't. You know, but you didn't, those things didn't stop you. So tell us about your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This whole thing started when we were 19 years old and we were sophomores in college. 
And um, she is my wife now, but back then um, I just wanted to go on a date with her and she was my girlfriend, but she stood me up on a date. And so that's how this whole thing got started. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I uh, missed the plans that we had together. Um, I was ice skating and I didn't have a cell phone. It was 1999. Um, and so I overpassed our meeting time and my mom said I should apologize. So I baked cookies for fun. And so I baked him a set of cookies, drove him over to his house, and not even thinking anything about it, the cookies were still warm when we got there. Mm -hmm. And immediately, he just had this, I guess you would call it a warm cookie moment, the first <laughs> of many to come. Yes. Um, and he just had this moment. He was like, we should do this as a business. We should bake cookies and deliver them to people while they're still warm. And, and, yeah, and of course, she said no to that, too, um, and which I think is really funny and thinking back on that, I would have let it go. At that point, it was just an idea, one of many silly ideas I had, and I could have let it go forever. Um, but she yeah. called me up hours later saying she's at the grocery store pricing out ingredients and maybe we could give it a try. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's Leon's recollection. And my, <laughs> mine's different because I think he could never have let it go. And it never would have stopped. So I may as well just get the show on the road and start doing the practical part of it. Uh, so are you the operator in this relationship then, Tiffany? Yeah, yeah he's the dreamer. Yeah, and I'm the, you know, I don't know Doer. what to say. Yeah. Doer. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the truth is somewhere in between those two things, I yeah. guess. But we did get to work on just looking at uh, what flavors can we make? How much does it cost to make them? Mm. How do we get the word out? How, what, how do we package them? Uh, and then we spent two weeks doing that because we were on winter break from college. So two weeks later, we went back to college and we just started right out of Leon's college apartment. We made flyers at Kinko's. We put them under all the dorms and apartments mm. and we waited for the phone to ring. In those days, the only way to take an order was by phone. And so we waited for the phone to ring and eventually it did. Well, yeah. Um, and that's one thing about taking risks it's we can't really give ourselves that much credit it's just when you're young and naive it, you just don't know what you don't know you don't even mm -hmm. realize sometimes the risk looking back on it we're like that is i can't believe we did that but we went in being young and naive we started from my college apartment i had roommates i surprised them with the news that we were starting a business a warm cookie delivery concept <laughs> uh, which no one had ever done and so they were like they didn't understand what that was and being young and naive, we didn't even realize until months and months in that at that time in the state of Texas, it was completely illegal to do a food-based home business. Oh. Uh, we didn't, we didn't know. That, that's yeah. part of it. If we had taken the time to, to look into that, we probably wouldn't have even started it. Um, but by then, we're all, all along the way of doing that. So we started as small as any business could start. We would, mm -hmm. oh, one thing she made me promise, she wanted to still go to school and then she wanted to go out with her friends on Friday and Saturday on the weekends. So we were only open Sunday through Thursday, 8 p.m. to midnight. And we first started targeting the students because that's all we knew. We quickly mm -hmm. found out and we have very much, the business model has very much changed to where we do a lot of corporate orders and a lot of uh, gifting, on-demand mm -hmm. gifting. Um, but we did that small time, part time from our apartment for a few years, right? A few years. And I think the bigger risk, and even though we didn't consider it much of the time would be when we graduated. And then we went full time with the business. But even then, it wasn't a huge risk for us because we weren't giving anything 
else up. We had kind of done that along the way through college. We gave away our chance at really focusing on a particular major. We sort of went back. I dropped out of all of my extracurricular activities. I lowered my specific college degree to a more generalized one because it wouldn't take as much work. So by the time we got out of college, we almost had no other options because we had sort of boxed ourselves into this. Uh, so again, like, yes, it was a risk, but it didn't feel like it. And we would take on loans and things like this, but we kept doing it little at a time. So it never felt huge. But if you would step back and look at it, uh, at a certain point, we realized that if we went under, which was extremely likely, we'd be paying back loans for the rest of our lives. But what can you do? We had already done it. So, yeah, well, it sounds like it was just a very organic one day at a time, one decision at a time trajectory that took you through those first few years. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And I mean, if we had stepped out and gotten paying jobs when we graduated, it would have been impossible to come back because once you felt security, you probably wouldn't want to leave it. We were never secure, right? And so when we graduated, those first three years after graduation, we worked 120 hours each, uh, day and night. It was uh, stressful. We didn't pay ourselves. And we laugh about it now, but after that first year, we had our accountant calculate everything. And it turns out not only did we not pay ourselves that year, uh, we lost, the business lost $15,000 as well. So we worked for negative $15,000 that first year. Um, But we felt like things were special. There was something special about Mm -hmm. the brand that was resonating with people. And again, being young and naive, we we just kept going because it just felt like it was getting better every day, even though it was incrementally. So it's just one of those things where you just kind of go by gut feel when, uh, when you don't know any better. Okay, guys, that brings up a really good point when it comes to financials and business. And I think maybe a lot of people might not recognize this, but it is so very common. And it was the same story for us here at Belay that you probably will have many years you're not actually profitable but that doesn't mean you don't have a successful business. I mean, I think I think a lot of people, there's assumptions that you're going to go out the gate and you're going to make money the first week you start and um, you're immediately going to be reaping those rewards. But I think that it's it's very practical and reasonable to, for, for people to, to miss the fact that when you're sometimes building an organization, you're investing back into growth that you might end up in the red Oh, yeah. We're experts of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because for all of those years, I mean, you make a choice, right? I mean, I think we had a business that could be profitable, but in the early days, but we would make choices to open a new location in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So there's always kind of a trade-off between growth and profits, and it probably depends on what you're looking to do. And and really, almost the more, in, in many industries, the more successful you are, the more your brand is resonating with customers and the more demand there is, almost creates a issue where in order to handle that demand, you do have to make those decisions and right. you you should be facing losses. You're It's almost like you're not investing enough in your brand and in your business and in your infrastructure if you're trying to, 
make the perfect tidy profit as you're growing fast. Yeah, that was never our big goal was to come out with tons of profits. I mean, we wanted to know that our we had a healthy business at the store level, but at the same time, we would reinvest into expansion and then of software. course, yeah. software is a big one. Things that we wanted to make it so that our business was ready to grow to the next level. I mean, we still make those decisions today. It's the, it's the same thing now. You decide on what to reinvest in. If you wanted to decide, okay, I'm going to stop growing and we're never going to grow again, then yeah, then becoming profitable, I think is largely important. But if you're trying to grow, those there are trade-offs you have to make. It almost feels like you, that's the answer is kind of, you know, what have you learned over the years about how to grow your business? And so I think it sounds like you're saying, I mean, the most important thing is, right, first you're making decisions on whether you're going to invest in growing or not, and then recognizing that that might mean there's profit or there's not. I mean, that's one core decision you're making as the owners of the business. I mean, there's so many other ones. And then you're balancing scaling. How do you scale without investing? I mean, you have to. Right. And it, yeah. it's a it's a choice. And one size does not fit all in the industry or within an industry. For us, it's always been about building the brand, building the brand. Mm-hmm. We could be double or triple the amount of stores we have right now. But we chose instead of to order open stores, we chose to invest in technology and infrastructure and the customer experience. And mm-hmm. um, that's just our choice. And that's how we wanted to do it because we wanted to lead with the brand. Um, and it's different and people can make different choices and all end up in different uh, varying levels of success. It's not one size fits all. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to talk about the technology part because it's so important about today. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about about your balancing um, and this is a hard one for, for growing businesses who are off size, balancing the growth with the culture and the warmth, like maintaining that. Is there, are there things that you did or that you knew that worked or that you would recommend to somebody when you're in a growing business? It's so easy for the growth to creep in and change culture or lose warmth. But it sounds like you guys really we're just tuned and invested and committed to not losing that customer experience. So any how-tos on that? Yeah, I think it's important, the customer experience for sure, and the team experience, the staff experience as well. And I, for us, we've got multi-location. So we, we're not all together in one place. When we, when we just had one location, even two, we were sort of a family of staff. We knew each other ins and outs and, you know, you knew to trust me and I knew to trust you. And and it was just effortless. The culture was effortless. And then as we started expanding to new locations, we're not even in the same city with other people. That became harder and harder. But I think putting a focus on it was really important. The first step is to know that you need to. And one of the big keys for us as we were growing in the early days was to meet in person with our leaders from other areas so that we were on the same page, we were solving problems together, uh, we weren't just directing from afar. And again, then you kind of bring back in that trust with each other and the really getting to know each other. So I think on the one hand, recognizing that your team has a culture that's super important and it's really important that what is what are your values 
are they even, even if that's not their values, that they understand what the values of the business are. We ended up creating what we call our tips top five, which is our top five values to guide our team and knowing here's as a company what we stand for. And that was really helpful on that end. And then on the customer end, yeah, I think that's super important. And I think he and I are probably the biggest ambassadors for the customer in terms of every decision we make. Is this making the customer's end easier or harder? Is this more fun for them or less fun? Is their experience better or worse? And a lot of times you'll make decisions that don't bring as much profit but do bring a better customer experience and just trusting that what you're building here is a brand. And so we're, we're not here to build a P&L statement. We're here to build a brand, which means we're going to invest in having our own delivery drivers because we truly believe that that is core to our business. You're having a special moment. We're delivering cookies to you. We want to own that experience from top to bottom. We want highly trained individuals coming out with a smile in the uniform and, and knowing how important that moment is to you as opposed to outsourcing, um, for example. Yeah, that that is that is great. I just... It resonates with me because I feel this way about how we run Belay is is first and foremost, I mean, the first step really is know that it's important. I mean, there's so many businesses and organizations out there now that culture doesn't matter. Then we're in things like a great resignation right now where people are leaving places because they don't have great cultures. And so I think, you know, first and foremost, knowing that it matters and you're trying to create an experience for your employees I think that that's a huge opportunity for a lot of businesses out there is to really remember, like you said, the team experience is equally as important as the customer experience. And maybe sometimes that gets lost. And I think I always sit on the stool of if if your team has a great experience, then your customer does too, because they're touching your customer. So it's almost like a ripple effect. Right, right. We saw that early on too. We we just had someone here celebrate their twentieth anniversary. Um, our first four delivery drivers, uh, they were undergrad in college. Uh, They're students. Our friends' little brothers. They're all four with the company today in management roles. Uh, wow. you know, and so it was. Yeah. I think it's something that we try to remember as we grow and scale. And there's other locations. Mm-hmm. We knew the impact on having a close knit team with values that we shared and running the business to do well, but also to take care of our people. We saw the positive effects of that early on and it helped us. Mm -hmm. Before it was mandated by the government, very, very early on, we were one of the only companies in our industry to uh, offer paid healthcare for part-time staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was years, probably a decade before it was mandated by the government. We were doing that just as a benefit to our people. And so it's always been first and foremost in our mind. Yeah. People first. People first. People first. It's the people, then the cookies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. Well, the people are making the cookies, so they don't... They, they somebody has to, to make the cookies. Sure. It cannot be you, Tiffany, in the kitchen yeah. anymore. Um, yeah. So I, w- I want to go back to... Um, you talked a little bit about the investment in things like technology. And you have some some brand attributes that I've you've mentioned already. You know, technology, your warm moments, your focus on customer service, being charitable. Talk a little bit about those core things and and um, how they've helped serve your business well. Yeah, and you know, it's one of those things where we sort of naturally drove towards these things, and then upon reflection, you can say, oh, okay. 
these these are some of the pieces of the puzzle that have helped us make us successful. Um, for technology, we were trying to solve problems that we had. And in doing so, we found that building our own technology was the way that we thought was easiest. Well, be- easiest be- because nobody else was in it. We created right. There wasn't a custom it. cookie delivery system app that existed you could go use. And, exactly. and especially bake to order warm cookie delivery too on top right. of that. It's a Definitely whole different not. Yeah. And with gifting and, and plus when, when we were looking for software, we took orders by hand and over the phone for the first mm-hmm. year. Uh, that was in 1999. Right. And then a year later, we launched our website and an online ordering platform, which I only really recently thought back and thought, gosh, you know what? We must have been one of the first places offering online ordering for food or anything. You were and so we were, innovative and you didn't even know how no, innovative you were. Well, the problem of, you know, we couldn't take as yes. many hand orders. We could online order yeah. would be better. And that we just did off yeah. the shelf. But after a couple of years, we really wanted something more custom for us both on online ordering and then on our our internal system. And so we started um, building, well, hiring people to build custom software. And it's made a huge difference to our growth. It was how we were able to scale with a small team. I mean, for years, the corporate team was he and I. I mean, 10 plus years um, at least. And so in order to do that, it was great to have this software that helped us run our business. And that's been really awesome for us. It's also great for the customer experience, you know, so you're able to make something more seamless and more fun for the customer to engage with. And as important as the technology is, it's only there to serve the customer. And so what we found early, early on is that the cookies, they're warm, they're on demand, they make great gifts. They're great, but what made the brand special was the connection that those cookies helped people make with each other, whether they were ordering together at the office uh, to have an afternoon snack or whether they were sending a gift from thousands of miles away. uh, We started to realize we got to be a part of some really amazing moments and it it was uh, the cookies were the conduit to connect people and we call it connect people through the war moments. Yeah, it was kind of a light bulb moment. I don't even remember what, really when that happened, but we were like, aha, we had been calling it sort of magic. Like there was magic or there was energy around the brand when we were young and we weren't making any money and the sales weren't there, but there was something and we couldn't put mm-hmm. our finger on it. And we just said, there's an energy around this. We don't want to stop. There's some kind of magic here. How do we bottle up this magic? And then years later, we were like, you know what it is? It's that connection between people and that they're, ex- they're having this experience and it's with our brand. Our brand is there as part of this experience. It's there when their baby is born because we're gifting to the hospital. It's there when they're sending it to somebody for their anniversary or their birthday. Yes. It was there during the shutdown when people couldn't see each other, but they could still send each other love through warm cookies. And we're like, aha. So this is why mm-hmm. it's resonating with people. And it's great when you yes. can kind of key into what it is that people are connecting with, with your brand, and then we can lean into it. Yeah, and in our book, we have tons of our favorite stories and favorite examples. I'll just give you a quick one that has stuck with me for years. Many years ago, we had a customer call in, and at the time, our manager was taking the order by phone and got to talking to the customer, and it was a woman who was an admin downtown, and our staff was saying, hey, what's this order for? Just making small talk, and the admin said, well, you know, my boss... Uh, our office pulled our money together and decided to order these to the office for my boss because every time it rained, he would go into this long story about how 
it reminds him of his mom because whenever he was in elementary school and junior high, whenever it rained at school, he'd come home and she'd have a, a batch of cookies baked for him fresh as a snack because he couldn't go out and play. Well, uh, the, this woman went on to say, well, today is uh, the first day uh, since she's passed. She recently mm. passed away and he was been very sad. And today's the first day it's rained since she's passed away. So everyone here at the office wanted to get together, order these cookies to arrive hot as, you know, as a special celebration for him uh, to remember her by. And so it's stories like that that we get to see every single day. Yeah, that you can align it with great purpose. It's Mm -hmm. such a great vehicle with which to show gratitude, you know, and gratitude is, is just the word that resonates with me when I hear, you know, your stories and my first experience with your brand um, was I had a pretty big surgery many years ago on my back. It was very scary and I was nervous. And one of the one of my girlfriends sent me Tiff's Treats cookies uh-huh. when I got home after my surgery. And it was my first experience with them because you guys weren't in my area at the time. Just got here. And I will always remember receiving Tiff's Treats the day I got back from the hospital from that surgery, and I will always remember that. I mean, and then I also remember my family fighting over how many cookies per person, and we have to share, <laughs> and we have to cut all the cookies in fourths because everybody has to have their portion of the cookies. But it does. It brings people together, and it's a great way to make people feel something around you. So, I, you know, I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing. When it comes to one more thing I want to ask you guys about is, you know, there's so much rhetoric, if you will, in the market when it comes to um, fundraising, investing. It will change the organization, right? There's this, this, there can be this negative tone. I've been through it and I had a very positive experience. You guys have obviously been through it and you've had a positive experience. Would you talk a little bit about your philosophy around funding and investment and how that served and supported you in your organization and how you've been able to do that and then keep your culture and brand healthy and alive and thriving? Yeah, Yeah, those are great questions. And I was going to start with um, something that I learned along the way from Leon, which is even when you don't think you need money, it doesn't hurt to go out and and get some to have because you don't want to have your back against the wall in terms of making a decision because of cash. And so because of that philosophy, we've sort of stayed ahead of the game in either taking out loans when we were young. So one one story I'll give when we were very early on. Now, this is a different climate, so you can't just go out and enact this. But we signed a um, $100,000 line of credit credit with nothing more than our signature. So that was just a banking thing at the time that does no longer exist. (laughs) You got lucky. Uh, You said, all right, we'll take it. (laughs) And we're like, great. And I remember saying to Leon, what, wait, what do we need? this for and he goes we don't but it's just nice to have and we're like okay it's a great safety so we net adjusting case yeah. a adjusting case. Plan. And two months later we got our notice to vacate our space that we were leasing we needed to find a new space we were under the gun to find it very very quickly and when we did find a space it was not a kitchen and we had to renovate it to become a kitchen which cost roughly a hundred thousand dollars at the mm-hmm. time um and so it's like okay yeah you're right yeah. we needed it had we mm-hmm. not had it we I don't even know what our options would have been. Honestly, probably to go out of business at that that moment. We wouldn't have had a ton of other options. But later on, 
you might have to make decisions. We were talking earlier about whether you want to be profitable or whether you want to grow. If your back's against the wall and you don't have cash, you never, you no longer have those options. All you have is I must make profits because mm-hmm. otherwise I can't make payroll and otherwise we can't continue on the next day. And that's right. not a great way to look long term. So well, that's not a way to build a brand because you're always just going to make the right. money decision, which a lot of times mm-hmm. is the opposite of the decision you need to be making for your brand. Yeah, and for expansion. Yes. So in terms of philosophy, I suppose that's our philosophy. And it's funny, we just never end with the fundraising. We ended up <laughs> moving away from loans and into investors, and we've ha- had some really great experiences there. And it's just sort of you're always raising, even when you don't think, and even when you're like, okay, that one's done. And then six months later, you'll just find yourself in another fundraising meeting, and you're like, well, I'll take the meeting, and then you end up, you know, going on another fundraise. It just sort of becomes a part of the business, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That you, it takes a little bit of getting used to. Um, sure. And it certainly depends on your threshold for how much you're you, – it is a change because you, you no longer own the whole portion. And the dynamic with the people that are putting in the money is really, really important especially sure. depending on how much they own and how much you own. Right. Our, our first fundraising story, we, we, we didn't realize until years later, was not traditional and normally doesn't happen to everybody. Um, we were very fortunate and we met, we met a gentleman and he didn't even know what Tiff's Treats was. He just knew his wife was a fan and we had lunch with him and then he said he would invest and he invested $1.2 million uh, with just the lunch meeting. And then he put in another 1.8 million the next year and then put in a few more million over the few years. And it wasn't until many years later that we said, okay, that doesn't happen normally. (laughs) Yeah, we found out after we started fundraising more in a traditional sense that we realized how difficult it is to raise 1 million. And usually individuals do not put in that kind at a time, even really wealthy individuals. Mm -hmm. To put in over a million dollars, much less multiple times is extremely rare. We didn't know that. So we were very, very lucky in that regard. We were also very lucky with this particular individual because he was hands off. So you were talking about how to maintain your culture and your vision and your growth, but also take in money. I think it's really important, especially in the early times and especially when you're going to be giving up a pretty good chunk. Mm -hmm. You know, that million dollars bought a pretty good chunk of our business. That you have somebody who's investing in you and trust you. If you have a sense that they are investing because they like your concept or they like something about your brand, but they don't totally trust you to run it, then you're going to be making decisions for them on their behalf. Um, They're going to be nervous and they're going to be coming in and giving you a lot of suggestions, all well-meaning, hoping to help. But sometimes the people that aren't there every day aren't going to be giving you the most helpful suggestions in the world, and especially when it's coming from a place of fear of losing their investment. So I think that relationship is really important. And we were unbelievably lucky to have somebody who was super smart, successful, there if we had a question or needed needed help, but otherwise totally hands off and say, you guys do the business. That's what you're there for. And we try to do that as investors as well. If we're Mm -hmm. investing in something, you know, our advice is don't invest in a business. If you think that you need to be at the table trying to dictate what's going to happen, because that's probably not going to have a great outcome. Right. And we've learned a, a big transition was going from the individual angel investors to 
institutional firms. And for me, that mm-hmm. was a huge lesson. It was an education mm-hmm. uh, all in it of itself that I'm still learning to this day because it changes, the stakes get higher and the ball game has changed. And, um, sure. and that is, uh, at that point, professionalizing your business, mm-hmm. making sure that you do right by your shareholder who has shareholders, him or herself, that they have to do right by. It's a it's a whole process that's uh, constantly uh, ongoing as far as learning. To and it takes out. a lot of resources to mm-hmm. manage too. So we did that later in our career where we had a CFO and a very small right. um, finance team, well, a person, but we couldn't have done that. I think it would have been a huge distraction to us to try to put together yeah. a data room and, and all have all of these you know, polished recordings that we weren't qualified to do. So it works better Absolutely. for us to start with the individuals mm-hmm. and then move. We've kind of moved more and more institutional as we go, but you need a team to help you if you're going to go for the really big invest, like institutional. And, and the last thing I'll say about that is even with our first investor who put in 1.2 million, it does not happen all the time, very often that it, it, it that much stroke of luck. But for us, it was seven years after we started. So it wasn't like right. we had an idea. You weren't a startup. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. had a business. We had proof yeah. of concept. We had yeah. a brand. We had, we had operations. We, we had, had multiple yeah. locations at the time. Yeah. We had our techno- We had already built yeah. our technology, at least the beginnings mm-hmm. of it. Um, so we had a lot to show. And so it, right. he's exactly right. If we had come in yeah. with just an idea, or even when we were just in college, mm-hmm. I, even as great as this investor is, I highly doubt he would have felt comfortable to take that leap. Yeah. It was because we had yeah. waited and had an actual business to to um, display. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I actually, this has been a great conversation. So thank you guys. I actually would like to ask you if you guys wouldn't mind hanging around after we close out here for one more question. I have a follow-up question about the funding and the financing and all of that that I'd love to ask you as a bonus question after this interview, if you wouldn't mind hanging around just for two more minutes. Of course, let me hear. Thank you. And to our listeners, if you want to hear that clip, you have to subscribe to our email list and we will send you a link to the bonus content or you can visit onenextsteppodcast.com and you will find the link in our show notes. Big thank you to Tiffany and Leon for coming on the podcast. As a reminder, you can hear their bonus question by joining our email list at onenextsteppodcast.com. LZ, for me, a big takeaway was to remember the power of humble beginnings. Starting small is no indication of where you'll finish. If you're a person that's a bit risk averse, ask yourself, what's the smallest thing you can do to take the next step? Most things don't feel so risky when broken down into smaller pieces. Okay, LZ, what was your biggest takeaway? I was reminded of the power of community multiple times. Tiff and Leon referenced the meaning of experiencing their journey together. Having someone to talk to and work closely with that knows what you're experiencing because they're in the trenches with you. For me, that's been Trisha, our CEO. She's someone at work who's joined me on this crazy journey here at Belay. So I want to encourage every leader to cultivate a community. If you're a solo founder or solopreneur, look into finding a group or, I mean, shoot, you actually may have to create a group. The journey is so much more enjoyable with others. That's amazing insight, LZ. I feel like you and Trisha's relationship is one of the secret ingredients to our success at Belay over the years. 
Uh, before we let you go, listeners, we have one next step for you to take, as always. This week, we want to encourage you to buy Tiff and Leon's new book, It's Not Just Cookies, Stories and Recipes from the Tiff Street's Kitchen. The book goes into even more detail about Tiff Street's story and how they grew it from their dorm room to a $500 million organization, delighting millions of people every year. It's available for pre-order right now and releases April 5th. Order it now wherever books are sold. And one more thing, Ryan, Tiff and Leon have an extra tasty treat. They're offering our podcast listeners 20% off of their cookies, delivery, or shipping between now and August 31st, 2022. Visit cookiedelivery.com forward slash belay to pick up your exclusive 20% off offer and grab a copy of their book, It's Not Just Cookies. Well, thank you so much for tuning in for this week's One Next Step. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Normally, you'll find us in the business section, but this week we're in the cooking section too, it seems. And if you're ready to start accomplishing more and juggling less, go to belaysolutions.com. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com. Join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you advance your business one step at a time. Start by making today count. Joining us next week are our good friends, Melissa Baggett, Senior Client Success Consultant at Belay, and Melissa Tidwell, MT, Solutions Consultant at Belay. They'll be talking to us all about the many surprising ways a bookkeeper can bring value and help grow your business. You don't want to miss it. Here's a brief preview. It's really been an honor getting to partner with our clients and their bookkeepers and, and watch their journey. And then when they meet their bookkeeper for the first time on the kickoff call and you just see that connection and you can almost see the relief that the client's feeling because the bookkeeper understands their pain points. And just following that journey has, has really been a tremendous honor. Mm-hmm.